Good morning, Arbor. It is so good to be back with you. You might not have known this, but I took a little time away, a little time off the grid with my family to reconnect. (laughs) It was wonderful. It was so good. But I am so happy to be back with you today. Um, And we're going to shift gears. We're going to pivot. We did this a couple weeks ago, and we're going to do it again. Today, we were supposed to start a series on worship, and that series would last for the entirety of the summer. And we are going to do that, and we're going to start it in a couple weeks. But today, I want to zoom in on this topic because I think it is mission critical to our community and to our church. And that is this. It's a topic of unity. I think it goes without saying that this has been one heck of a year. And I want to take a moment and I want to recap the obvious. The obvious is this. By early March, most places in this world were closed, shut down due to COVID-19. And for some of us, and if this is you, I am so sorry. Some of us through this pandemic have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have lost income. Some of us have lost businesses that we spent a lifetime trying to build. But all of us have lost a sense of normality. And what's interesting about this crisis is that in most crises, they have a unifying effect, right? Think, take Take uh, 9-11, for example. September 11, 2001, planes hit the Twin Towers, and they came down. They fell. And what rose from that, what came up from the ashes was unity. Our country was more united than I have ever seen. Patriotism surged in that moment. But unfortunately, when it comes to COVID-19, it seems to have the opposite effect. It seems to divide us. Instead of uniting us, we seem polarized. Instead of standing with each other, we are standing against each other. And I feel when it comes to COVID-19, there's basically like two different camps. There's the camp of this is a big deal, right? This is a big deal. We need to lock down. We need to ride this thing out. And I mean everyone. We don't want to open anything because that would be reckless. We don't want to, we want to keep this virus from spreading because it is a big deal. On the other hand, we've got a what's the big deal camp as well. And on that side, it's like, well, we're making a mountain out of a mole here. here. This, is, this is crazy. We're even making it political. I'm not even sure there is a virus. But I do know one thing for sure. Shutting down the economy, that's made it a whole lot worse. And so we've got the whole this is a big deal and what's the big deal and no one's getting along and everyone thinks they're right and they've got the right facts and they know exactly what is the reality. But what's the reality is that we're divided. Right? And we feel this division here in the church. When it comes to meeting together, when we close the building, there were a handful of people that emailed in and and asked us and questioned us about our faith. You are lacking faith to close down the building. Now that we are talking about reopening church, now we're being accused of risking lives. And so it's both sides. There's so much division, so much discord, so much tension. So much so that my mother-in-law texted my wife when we were going to have a family meeting and said, I want you to know, tell Jake I'm praying for him, which I so appreciate. 
And then my father-in-law chimed in. He says, tell Jake as well that I'm so glad after 38 years that I'm no longer a pastor. Let him do that. And when we thought that things couldn't get any worse, right? Division, discord, all of that can't get any worse. We experienced the tragic deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. And this brought to the forefront, to our attention, the ongoing problem of racism. That is, unless you don't think that racism is an ongoing problem. And then we've got more anger and more disagreement and more discord and more division. My guess, and I'm pretty sure on it, is that the devil is laughing at us. This is hilarious to him because he's going down there, he's celebrating at what he's watching, at what he's witnessing, because he knows one of his greatest strategies is to divide the kingdom of God. It is to divide this family, to divide the body of Christ. He knows that if the church stood together, if we were unified, we're unstoppable. We're absolutely unstoppable. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, nothing can stop us. And yet, when we are divided, we are weak. We are ineffective and basically overlooked by this world. Personally, I don't have the power to change much. I wish I could. But I do have a little bit of influence when it comes to this church family. And so today, I want to make the same passionate, faith-filled appeal that Paul made to the church of Corinth. Here's what he said. He said, I appeal to you. In other words, I beg you. I urge you. I plead, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be, and this is huge right here, no divisions. No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul is saying we need to be united in mind and thought, that there should be no divisions. Now, the word divisions in Greek, it comes from the word schisma, which means a split or a tearing or an actual ripping apart. That's what it means. Paul says we don't want any of that. I have here what is considered to be the classic picture of Jesus, the classic blue eyes, blonde hair Jesus. That's, that's what we got here. And I remember growing up and this being posted in the church that I used to attend. But here's what happens when we are divided, is that we rip apart. We tear at the body of Christ, and we are the body of Christ. And basically, when we can't agree, and we're fighting our brothers and sisters on what they say, we are tearing apart the unity of our faith, and we become ineffective. We become separated we become to a place where there is divisions among us between our own church and the people that we love. And it's a family of God, and this is what happens. And I know for some of you, you are going to email me now, and you're going to say, that you're a heretic. What are you doing? Here's why I'm doing this. I want you to feel it. 
I want you to feel the effect of what our division does. This is what it looks like to the outside world looking in. It looks like we don't know what we're doing. Why would I even investigate what's going on over there when they can't even hold it together? They're ripping each other apart. They're ripping their church apart. Friends, if Paul's appeal isn't enough, then let us look at Jesus. And when he asked his father in this, he prayed this. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Now, why would he do that? So, so they may be brought to complete, I love this, complete unity. And what will happen if we're unified? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, instead of being divided and weak, we could be unified and strong, resisting the schemes and the attacks and the strategies of the enemy and helping to usher in God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've got Paul's appeal that we should be united. We've got Jesus' prayer saying that we should be one. And what if, friends, what if, church, we could be the generation where this prayer is answered. Jesus' prayer is answered. God, help us to be the one where we are not divided, where we are brother is supporting sister and sister is supporting brother and we are supporting one another. The question is how? How do we go about doing that? How do we become one? What will it take? What will unify the church? And friends, the answer is very simple. It's very simple. Here it is. We need one enemy and one mission. That's it. One enemy and one mission. I want to talk about those. That would unify the church. One enemy. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So, in other words, it's not against other people. It's not against other people but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the power of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, we need to understand that the church down, our, down the street is not our enemy. Those who read from a different version or translation of the Bible, they are not our enemies. Those who prefer to worship to a different style of music or have a different thought, doctrinal opinion. They're not our enemies. The person who votes differently from you, they're not your enemy. The person with a different skin color, they're not our enemy. The person with a different background or likes different music or has dresses different or, or presents himself differently, they are not our enemy. We have one enemy one enemy. His name is Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness, the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. Jesus called him a thief. He said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal our unity. He comes to kill our churches and to destroy our witness. Why? Because Satan knows. He knows. 
He knows simply that if we are united, we are unstoppable. But when we are not, when we are divided, we unfortunately are weak and can be picked off. One of the most strongest unifying forces on this planet is a singular enemy. Many of you know that I love the author J.R.R. Tolkien. I love his series, Lord of the Rings, and every time I talk about it, I, I unveil the nerdiness that is within. And in there, there is the story of Middle Earth. And within Middle Earth are all these different races. There is the race of men, the race of hobbits, the race of elves, the race of dwarfs. And inside of there, they were all divided, especially the dwarves versus the elves. They didn't like each other. They fought for generations. But there was, in the Second Age, one enemy that rose, and his name was Sauron. And he came out of Mordor. And as he comes out of Mordor, what does that do? It causes all the different races throughout Middle-earth to unify. That is what was the fellowship of the ring. If you ever watched the movie or you've read the book, it was all of the different races coming together to fight in unity against one enemy. So often that book is, is described and compared to the rising of Hitler, and although it wasn't written after that story, you see that in everyday life, that when Hitler rose to power, all of a sudden, all the people of free earth, our free people on this planet, most of them were against, they united against a common enemy. It's one way that unites us as a common enemy. For example, growing up, I have a uh, younger sister who's two years younger than me. And when we were small, we didn't exactly see eye to eye when we were going to high school and, and junior high and whatnot. And so at times we could barely tolerate each other. It's just the way that it was. It was siblings. But then there was a situation at school where someone started to make fun of her and spread false rumors. And all of a sudden, the girl that I could not understand, uh, could, could, had struggled with, we, we struggled to get along with, all of a sudden, we're on the same team. Because you don't get to say something negative about my sister. I get to do that, right? You don't get to. I get to. And so what that did is that gave us a common enemy. And I found that my sister and I, we were joined together during that period of time to fight the common evil that was there. One enemy, that's all we got. When it comes to a spiritual realm, that's it. We don't have two, we don't have three, we have one. And he is real, and he is wicked, and he wants to take you out. He wants to take you out. He is not dumb, friends. He is not dumb. He knows his fate. He knows that he cannot take Jesus down. And so what does he do? He takes the next best thing. He takes those whom Jesus loves dearly. And he's been picking us off left and right for generations. And why has he been doing this? Is because we've been scattered. On the battlefield, this spiritual battlefield that we are on, we are fighting each other and not the enemy. Could you imagine that? A commander looking out and seeing his squad fighting one another in the midst of a battle. That's what we're doing as the church, and what we need to do is stop fighting each other, right? We need to stop fighting to be right. We need to start fighting the one who has been picking us off left 
and right. We need to stop and stand, lock arms, and attack back. Satan is the enemy, and he cannot touch us when we are unified in Christ Jesus. What will unify the church? One enemy. One enemy. And also, one mission. We've got one mission. Jesus had a mission. He came down from his throne on heaven to earth. He lived among us. And what he did is he took on the sins of this world, our sins, and he died on our behalf. He went to the cross and gave his life the perfect sacrifice. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, good news, that is the best news, he rose again. And then he went and he, he revealed himself to the disciples, to the men that he spent time and the women that he spent time with. And he revealed himself to them. And right before he ascended into heaven, what he did is he gave us a divine assignment. He gave us our calling, our reason, our mission, if you will. He said, therefore, go, and we, we use this word a lot, and make disciples. It's the purpose of this church. It's the purpose of the church. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we do, friends. That's, that's what we're about. That is our M.O. That is our mission. One mission, to help people find and to follow Jesus. Sadly, unfortunately, this is not what we are known for. If you were to take a stranger, someone off the street who doesn't know Jesus at all, doesn't want anything to do with the church, and you ask them, hey, what do you know? What, what are Christians known for these days? And they might say, well, they're known for their, you know, these crazy exotic buildings, these ancient buildings that they built a long time ago, or maybe their traditions. But most likely, they would let you know what we're known for or what we're against. That's what they would say. They would say, we know that the church is against this. What if, what if instead of being known for what we are against, that we were known by what we were for? Love, mercy, grace, generosity, justice, compassion. The Bible gives us one. And only one example of how the world will know that we are followers of Jesus. Just one. It is how we love. And not just how we love, but how we love one another. How do we get along in the family? Jesus said this. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if, key word there, if you love one another. How amazing would that be if Christians were known for how they forgave? Hey, did you hear about that guy? That Christian down the street? He forgave this guy and there was no reason that he should have. Did you hear how generous he was? He came over and he helped build this house or this, this girl was helping tutor my kid. I, I was imprisoned and my family wouldn't even come visit me. But those Christians, they came. 
They came like every single day and they stood with me and they stood with the oppressed and they always are so full of grace. They are the most compassionate, grace-filled, loving, generous people on the planet. That's how it should be. We should be like that. Paul said this, May the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of, of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that, here's the purpose, with one mind, love that, and one voice, love that, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Practically speaking, how do we do that with so much division and opinion and anger and pain? How do we unite in one voice? Paul goes on and says, here's how. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And why should we do that? In order to bring praise to God. Accept one another. If you want to glorify God, if we want to glorify God as a church, as a body, we need to accept one another. Now, the Greek word accept one another is actually one long word that I can't pronounce very well, but it's very picturesque, and here's what it means. It means opening your arms and taking somebody in towards yourself, not letting them pass by, but drawing them close to you and saying, come on in here pulling them towards yourself, reaching out and drawing them in. And then the picture doesn't stop there. The picture continues, and it's the idea of taking somebody's hand and then walking together with them as companions. And so it's both of those things. It's drawing someone in and bringing them together and then walking with them as companions. I'm going to come with you. Let's do this together. And so how do we do that? How do we accept those who are different than us? How do we accept those who have a different background or who think differently than us? How do we accept those? Here's how. We accept others as Christ accepted us. And so how did Christ accept us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died. He accepted us while we were yet sinners. How we were. That's how. We were imperfect. We were unrighteous. And yet, God loved us. That's how. Where does unity start? Unity starts with me accepting you. Unity starts within the church of you accepting me. Unity starts with us. Not dividing the church, not leaving the church, not walking away. We are a family. My accountability partner sent me this uh, <laughs> a couple Sundays ago. I thought it was great. He talked about a guy who was on the island, an island for quite some time. And finally he was rescued. People came to his aid and he had been there years. But before they took him off the island, he wanted to give the people, his rescuers, a tour of the different places around there. Like, this is where I lived. And he said, this is my home. I built this. This is where I lived. And then he walked a little farther and he saw another building and he said, look at this. This is my church. This is where I go to church. And as he went along, one of the rescuers looked and said, well, wh what's that building over there? And he says, oh, that, that's the church I left a little while ago. 
Friends, our church can't be divided in a time like this. We need to be unified. And we're a family. You don't walk away from your family. You don't walk away from the church. I've had people tell me we're going to leave the church based upon a singular post that I gave. Now, in that post, I just want you to understand. One little post that I gave out. I had one person on one hand basically tell me that you are a left-wing liberal. And on the other hand, I was told that I was a racist. There's no winning in this, friends. There's no winning. If one person sees it this way and one person sees it that way, what we end up doing is we end up taking what someone says and we push them to the extremes. Why can't we just give someone the benefit of the doubt? Instead of throwing our hands and say, I'm out of here. We don't need to leave. We need to unite. What do we unite on? We unite on Jesus. We unite in him. We accept one another. We are a nation, a community of people that is divided, unraveling, ripped apart. Why? Because some of us are so arrogant to believe that our perspective is the only way. Friends, I'd like, if that's you, please hear me say, Jesus is the only way. That's it. Jesus is the only way. And our perspectives and how we see the world, are, they can vary greatly. But what we need to unify on is the Son. And by the Son, I mean the Son of God. Him and Him alone. The one who changes lives. We've got one enemy. Friends, we have got one mission. That's it. We need unity in Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that the world that we live in, those who are outside the church are sick and tired of all the Jesus talk. They want to see him in action. How does that happen? That happens with us, his followers. We need to stop talking and start loving. We need to grow up and get over our, our differences. Friends, we are, we're in a war, and it's not the left wing versus the right wing. It is the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of God. Let us unify around Jesus. Let us unify around him. And what does Jesus do? The love of Jesus overcomes hatred, racism, prejudice, the power of Jesus breaks chains and addictions. Grace, the grace of Jesus helps us to forgive and heal broken relationships that are inside of our lives. Who is Jesus that we are to unify around? Like I said, he is the son of God and he never sinned. All time he was on earth, he never sinned. Not once. It makes him the perfect sacrifice. That's why we have grace. He walked among us. He walked among us sinners. He sat at a well with a woman and said, you have living water available to you. He healed the leopards who had never been touched. How? By touching them. He showed miracles and signs not to say how great I am. He did that to say how great God is. And this power and this love that I have for you is real. I'm proving it to you. What's easier, to say, get up off this mat and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven? The answer is to get up off this mat and walk. 
But because he could do that, he can say and has the authority to say your sins are forgiven. And that opportunity is before us all. We unify around him. And so who are we? We are brothers and sisters. We are his followers. We are a part of the body of Christ. The people that Christ died for, we are the church. Friends, we don't just go to church. We are the church. And Arbor, we need to unify around that. I beg you, I plead with you. We need to unify. We cannot be divided anymore. No divisions among us. For the sake of the one who gave it all for us, we need to stop fighting amongst ourselves and start fighting the one who is killing us. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Our neighbor is each other. We are to love one another. How will they know that we are followers of him? What is different? How we love one another. No more fighting. No more squabbling. Does that mean we need to agree with everything that our brother or our sister say? No. We're not going to agree on every ounce of opinion. But gosh dang it, can we stack hands on what really matters. And in a world that is divided, if they could look and see this beacon of light that is the church and that is us and we are joined together, they might think, well, maybe there's something there. And you know what? There is. There is. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's where we need to unite. That's where we need to stand. His body. That's us. The body of Christ the church. Friends, let us unite around that one enemy and one mission. Go into the world and make disciples. Why? Because God loves us and he loves every single person out there that we disagree with. Everyone. So let us be unified in reaching those who Jesus loves. Amen? Let's pray.